What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It is Friday, March 20th, and that is right because we couldn't get an episode up yesterday. We are double dipping once again. This episode you are listening to right now is going to be part four of our part five reliving year one series where we will take a trip down memory lane to the first three rounds of the Vegas Golden Knights inaugural run in the Stanley Cup playoffs capped off with the episode later today. You guessed it, the Stanley Cup final against the Washington Capitals. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you are having a wonderful end to your work week. My name is Danny Webster. I am your host, and I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode. Uh, we will get to uh, talking about memory lane in just a little bit, but first, the usual housekeeping items out of the way, especially to those of you listening to this podcast for the very first time, a welcome to you. As this is a daily podcast talking about the Vegas Golden Knights here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or you can send an email to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com if that does suit your fancy. Uh, also, before we get into our talk about the Golden Knights playoff run, um, we do have some news that we need to pass along first, as it's kind of been a long-awaited announcement, a uh, uh, due to complications with arena partners and the casinos and whatnot. It's been a crazy process for the Golden Knights to finally announce this, but they did on Thursday. The Golden Knights will pledge a minimum of $500,000 to part-time and hourly game day employees at T-Mobile Arena affected by the NHL's hiatus due to the coronavirus pandemic. Leading the way from player donations is goalie Marc-Andre Fleury, who will be donating $100,000. $100,000. These uh, donations will go to game day employees. This includes in-arena cast and crew, in-arena hosts, uh, Zamboni drivers, and Golden Knights interns. And this will cover the Golden Knights remi- remaining home games this season. If you include Tuesday's game against the Dallas Stars, they had four remaining on the schedule uh, leading up to the season's pause, which was on March 12th. So I know this has been a very long time coming as far as that announcement is concerned. I know some people were, in, in a sense, very disappointed that it took this long for the Golden Knights to actually hash out a plan. Uh, to my understanding, this was always going to happen. The unique situation when it comes to the Golden Knights and when it comes to how they handle T-Mobile Arena, if it was like any other team... If they actually owned T-Mobile Arena, if it wasn't owned by MGM or you know whatever the case may be, this might have been a much more smoother transition, unfortunately, due to trying to figure out how to incorporate funds from the likes of MGM, especially given the current state of Las Vegas, where now every casino is basically, it for, for, short of, for back of a letter term, uh, on lockdown. There's definitely a little bit more of a confusion and a little bit more of a uh, kind of a stall tactic, I guess, to get this going. But of course, the Golden Knights were eventually going to do this. It just took a little bit of time. But $500,000 minimum pledge to T-Mobile Arena workers, game day staff employees, all of that jazz. They will be compensated and assisted fairly well in the effect of this uh in in the event of this coronavirus pandemic. So very great gesture 
by the Golden Knights and Marc-Andre Fleury, who again is donating $100,000 of the $500,000 that the Golden Knights have pledged. All right, so let's go into the playoffs, shall we? Uh, It almost seemed like it was divine intervention, if you want to put it that way, where the Golden Knights in their very first playoff series would be taking on a team that I think when they came into the league, they were destined to be the top rival in the Golden Knights organization. And of course, I'm talking about the Los Angeles Kings. Now, of course, when you think about the Kings, there's the process of knowing the I-15 situation. It's only a four-hour drive. You know, it's only you know an hour-long flight, this, that, and the other thing. You have the the Knights versus the Kings chess piece type of ordeal going on there. So you knew going in that it was probably going to be the biggest rival to the Golden Knights. And I think that rivalry was fueled early on in the season when the Golden Knights were starting to establish themselves as one of the big powerhouses in the NHL when Kings defenseman Drew Doughty said there's no way that they're going to be a better team than us come the end of the regular season. Well, we got to the end of the regular season. The Golden Knights were Pacific Division champs and a 51-win team, while the Kings were a wild-card team, uh, basically kind of scratching and clawing to make sure they reached postseason. So, really, here's your chance, Kings. And here's your chance, Drew Doughty. Here's your chance, essentially, to kind of put up or shut up in this instance. Now, here's the thing that I think none of us really expected going into this series. I don't think by the end of it, I don't believe that really anybody, if you do the math real quick, which I'm going to do on the fly, I don't think many people believed that there would be seven total goals scored in this series. Little did I think anybody believe that the Golden Knights were actually going to sweep the LA Kings. Now, the thing about it is, is that clearly everyone knows at least wrapping it up, the Golden Knights were going to be the better team. Regardless, going into this series, I think the Golden Knights were going to be the better team. If you pick the Kings, I would have completely understood. Much like I think if you would have picked any opponent that the Golden Knights face at this point, I think I would have fairly understood. The reason why I would have understood is because you're you're pretty you're still a first year team, right? Like no matter how impressive your 51 win season was. No matter who you faced, you were going to be the underdog. The Kings especially, having already won two Stanley Cups this decade and really establishing themselves as the top team in the Pacific for the first you know seven years of the decade, they were essentially going to be the favorites just because of experience alone. And I think that was the key throughout this entire playoff run, was that experience was going to play a factor. So if you have a situation like that where experience is going to be of the utmost paramount, you're going to have to rely on your most experienced guys. And your most experienced guy you have right there is the one wearing 29 in the net. And especially given how well Jonathan Quick played in this series, the Golden Knights were going to need to have Marc-Andre Fleury play 10 times better. And, and you see from the standpoint that they had two shutouts in that series in the first game and in the clincher. Had two shutouts. Vegas only scored one goal. They were only able to get one goal past Jonathan Quick in games one and game four. They were only able to score two 
in game two and had to rely on double overtime to get that second goal. Now, the game game two stands out to me the most because one, it was the first double overtime game in Golden Knights history. Two, given the fact that we all know how great double overtime is, how great overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs are in general, that's my kind of game. Now, my kind of game on deadline is a completely different story because I'm too busy enthralled watching this game unfold while I'm trying to get it, get what I can from my story. Right. But that game too stands out to me the most because the golden Knights really dominated that game. The only problem was, is that they ran into Jonathan quick, who was the equivalent to the great wall. The great wall of quick is, is, is a fair assessment of what you can say. He wasn't allowing anything. The Golden Knights really weren't allowing anything high danger-wise in that game, too. And then finally, when they got on the break and the, and uh, James Neal's carrying the puck in, he's got Alex Tuck on his left, Eric Halla on his right. And all it took was Halla just kind of tucking it into the five-hole to beat quick. And all of a sudden, the Golden Knights have a 2 nothing lead going into L.A. And you knew the Kings were going to respond in game three. and And they did. They got out to the early lead. And they were up one nothing for the better part of that game. Uh, Cody Eakin tied the game, and then James Neal gave him the lead in the third period, and then William Carlson put him up three one, just like that. And I and that was pretty much the mantra of the Golden Knights all year. Just for the most part, when they were down, they were able to respond really quickly, and they had three goals in the third period to eventually go up three one. They would give up one back to make a three to two, but the Golden Knights did more than enough to hang on there. And again, going to game four, when the Kings have really struggled to get shots on net, of course, it'd be the former King, Brady McNabb, with the clincher. And he would, only, he would score the only goal to make it one nothing, and that would be your final score. And the Golden Knights completed, at the time, an improbable sweep against Kings. Because again, you're talking about a team who was really the top team in the Pacific for the better part of the last decade. You know, they won two Stanley Cups. They have the experience. They have the talent. And for the Golden Knights to basically shut them down and sweep them, and again, only seven total goals, or not, eh, probably not. No, hold on. Three, five, eight. I don't know where the hell I came up with seven. And I apologize for the language there. Um, I don't know where I came up with seven. If I do the math again, uh, that would be 10. So clearly, I don't know math. This, again, this is why I didn't go to school for math, guys. Uh, but to score 10 total goals in that entire series, to shut out the Kings twice, and for Marc-Andre Fleury to have the performances that he did in that series, and not only that, they basically got, got a whole eight, nine days off, which, again, really didn't mean much in hindsight because the San Jose Sharks took care of business against the Ducks in four games, so it kind of offset it. But to get through the Kings in the fashion that they did and really have an extended amount of time to focus on the Sharks in round two, I think was absolutely key going into the second round against the Sharks. That second round series was extremely entertaining. And the argument could be made that the Golden Knights should have won the series in five. And of course, I'm talking about game two, where Jonathan Marchessault scored in double overtime. That should have been the game winner. It ended up not being the game winner. It ended up being overturned. And then Logan Couture scored 
uh, in double overtime to tie the series at one. This was fresh off the Golden Knights coming out in game one and blitzing the Sharks seven nothing. So all the Golden Knights needed was just one goal to go in in double overtime, and it would have worked. It would have been a two nothing lead heading into San Jose, which would have been the most improbable thing I think anyone could have thought of. Now, fun thing for me, game two, I was actually not at the arena. Leave it to me to not be at game two in that game. Uh, my wife and I were actually having our engagement party that same day. It was actually the six-month mark before our wedding day, so we've kind of had it planned for a while. And at the in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, hopefully the, uh, the Golden Knights do not play a game on that day. Otherwise, it's not going to work out very well. Uh, we ended up putting the game on in the TV and watch the Golden Knights lose that game. It was all a, it was all grand fun, all grand fun. Uh, but the thing that I think I remember most about that is that the Golden Knights responded well in game three and they went into overtime. And uh, again, another game that could have gone either way. If the, the Sharks had to come back for a late rally to tie it, to send it into overtime. But then William Carlson in overtime just moments before, I think, if I remember correctly, the Sharks hit a post. Flurry made an acrobatic save. And then a couple minutes later, here comes William Carlson down the right side, fires it from the circle, and he beats Martin Jones. And the Golden Knights take an improbable 2-1 to one lead. Just imagine, though. Just imagine if that Marshall goal goes in and they come, they go to game four up 3 nothing. Like, I don't think the narrative would have been, I don't, I don't think the narrative could have been louder had the Golden Knights gone into game four of three nothing. They could have probably swept them. Now, the only reason why I'm not saying that is because Martin Jones ended up getting a shutout in game four. So it's not like I'm going to discount that. Martin Jones had his best game of the series in game four, and it wasn't even close. But they come back to tie it 2-2. Going back to Game 5, going back to Vegas, really the most pressure-packed game the Golden Knights have played to this point. You know, you lose this game, you're going back to San Jose, there's a chance you're going to lose. But the Golden Knights really, again, just like in Game 1, dominated San Jose. And yeah, they they almost allowed a huge comeback by the Sharks, but they ended up winning 5-3. But the Golden Knights, for about 45 to 50 minutes of that game, they dominated the Sharks. And really, it was the whole, it was the entire theme, you know, for the, for four out of the five games, basically. They, they dominated, they controlled play, and they should have won. They really should have won in five. But the fact that they were able to respond, tied 2 2, to come out of the gate and play the way that they did, to go up, what, four nothing, three nothing, whatever it was, and to eventually win, I think that was probably the biggest gut check moment for the Golden Knights. Up to that point. And then, of course, to follow it up with a shutout in game six was even more impressive to see them go back to San Jose, knowing that they don't want to go back to Vegas for a game seven. They didn't want to go in back to the T-Mobile, knowing that they probably lost all momentum. But to come out the way that they did and shut out the Sharks in game six and punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup or to the Western Conference Final. I'm kind of jumping the gun here. Uh, but to punch their ticket to the Western Conference Final after that 5-3 win, I think was absolutely huge. And I think it did a lot for this team's confidence. And again, they got a little bit more of a rest 
knowing that the Winnipeg Jets and the Nashville Predators, the President's Trophy-winning Nashville Predators, uh, were still battling it out in the other side of the bracket. But, uh, of course, the Jets would go on to beat the Predators and secure a date with the Golden Knights in the Western Conference Final. And Game 1, the the consensus here for Game 1 was that the Golden Knights played well. If you take out the first three goals that Winnipeg scored in the first period, the Golden Knights played well. I thought they responded well. I thought that they were able to kind of weather the storm a little bit. They were able to cut it to 3-1. And if not for the fact that they gave it that fourth goal, they were only down 3-2 in the third period. Who knows that they would have had a chance to come back, but Hellebuck was amazing that day. But I thought the Golden Knights played well enough in the latter parts of that game to know that going into game two, that they were going to respond well. And they did. And Jonathan Marchessault stepped up, even though Marchessault said after game one that he needed to play better. And there is a case that can be made that Jonathan Marchessault was the second best player in the playoffs for the Golden Knights this entire run. Between what Marc-Andre Fleury was doing, if you were trying to find a skater that was probably the best player on the ice, it was Jonathan Marchessault. He led the team in points during the postseason. And he came out and responded amazingly in this series. He scored two goals in game two to tie the series at one. And then game three scores the first goal 35 seconds in and then an empty netter for four goals in two games. Golden Knights won four to two in game three. Going into game four, if the Golden Knights could go into Winnipeg with a 3-1 lead, you just had a feeling. That no matter that situation, whether they go to Game 5 and they lose in Winnipeg, or they come back and be Vegas, and uh, go to Vegas for Game 6, you just had this feeling that the series was over. Just because of the way that they stole momentum in the last couple of games. William Carlson gets on the board first with the power play goal. Line A ties it in the second period. And then Tomas Nosek responds... The, the thing that stuck out with me the most was that no-set goal in the second period of Game 4. Because earlier in the game, I believe the, pe- I believe the penalty, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, okay, because I had to look at my notes real quick. Tomas Nosek commits a tripping penalty um, at 8.28 of the second period. One minute later, Patrick Laine scores. Now, it was a bad tripping penalty by Nosek, and... Nosek had been having those moments most of the year where he really should have been more mindful of where he was in the situation. And not many times would he be able to respond and get out of the funk. In this particular instance, to commit that penalty, have line a score, and have Gerard Gallant basically put enough trust in him to say, okay, I'm going to put you back out there. You better not screw up again. And the fourth line goes out there and scores the goal, and Nosek goes out there and gives them the 2-1 lead, I think was absolutely a huge turning point. Not only a huge turning point for the Golden Knights, but a huge turning point for that fourth line. Because that fourth line, for the, for the most part in this postseason run, up to this point, was very quiet. Um, Belmar was 
not, I mean, you don't expect the fourth line to produce points, right? But Belmar wasn't doing much at the time. It was Belmar, Nosek, and Carrier. And really, you didn't have the production you were hoping for. You really weren't getting the production that you were hoping for going into this one. And then, if I'm not mistaken, William Carrier gets injured in this game. And after the Golden Knights eventually win on a Riley Smith goal with six minutes to go and take a 3-1 lead, the Golden Knights pretty much do the unthinkable. They go and put in the guy that they traded for back near the deadline. And I'm not talking about Tomas Tatar. He was already in the lineup. I'm talking about Ryan Reeves. And Ryan Reeves goes on to score the the game-winning goal in Game 5. In the second period, no less, late in the second period, the, the Winnipeg boy, with a very nasty deflection off the shot from Lucas Pisa, Ryan Reeves deflects it home, 2-1 lead, and all the Golden Knights have to do is stand the ground, and that's exactly what they did. They stood the ground, they stood their ground for the better part of the final 27 minutes of that game. Marc-Andre Fleury shut the door. The Golden Knights did a great job playing possession, and it's like you watch, you were watching that game, watching the time tick, and I've never watched a game. And here's the thing, like, when you cover a team, it's much different than being a fan. I'm not saying I'm a Golden Knights fan. You know, I, I enjoy the Golden Knights because they're my hometown team. So, of course, I'm going to have a little bit more invested in them, really. But you watch the final, God, 10 minutes of that game. I have never seen a clock go so slowly. It, that 10 minutes felt like 30. That 10 minutes felt like an eternity. And then finally when we got to the final minute, it's like, oh my God, this team actually did it. And then when the final buzzer sounded and the, the team stormed the side of Marc-Andre Fleury, and it settled in. The Vegas Golden Knights were going to the Stanley Cup final. What? <laughs> this 51-win expansion team that defied all logic all season long Defied all logic in this postseason run to sweep the Kings, to essentially dominate the Sharks, even though it was a six-game series, and to fall down one nothing the first time they've trailed a series so far through two through three series. This is the first time they've trailed in a series, trailing one nothing after getting blitzed in the first 10-15 minutes of the first period of game one. To come back. And to respond with four straight wins. Just to basically set up a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final. And that's what that did. And to this day, I don't think it still feels like it happened. Because I feel like a lot of people were thinking like, oh, this is business as usual. What we were watching back in 2018 was not business as usual. Because nobody in their right minds thought this team was even going to come close. When we looked at the the expansion draft, you know, just less than a year ago, sitting in T-Mobile Arena watching the expansion draft go through, 
not thinking that a guy like William Carlson was going to score 43 goals, not thinking that a guy like Jonathan Marchessault was going to have a 70-point season, not thinking a guy like David Perron was going to have 50 assists, not thinking James Neal was going to sniff 20 goals again, and he had 25. And not to think that Marc-Andre Fleury was going to come back after that concussion and basically have the greatest statistical season of his career. And that led all the way up to this, three losses through three rounds, and this expansion team is in the Stanley Cup final. And the funny thing is, is that they clinched every single series up to this point on the road. They weren't at home for this. They were the they were one of, if not the best home team in the NHL for the entire season. And they're going on the road to clinch these series. They clinched game four in LA, game six in San Jose, and game five in Winnipeg. That I thought was the most impressive thing was to be able to go into these series knowing that you have a chance to shut the door and in essentially in these closeout games they've outscored teams 6 to 1 that is even that is probably the most impressive thing about this whole run was that when they went on the road they delivered they only lost two road games leading up to this Game four in San Jose and game one in Winnipeg. And they were 10 and three overall, or not 10 and three. They were 12 and three by this point. They went 12 and three in their first three playoff series. They dominated the Kings, who were the most experienced team in their bracket. They took down the Sharks, which might have been the most talented team. And then they took down the Jets, who were probably the most dangerous team the Golden Knights faced to this point. All of that to set up a date in the Stanley Cup Final. And it seemed like at the time that the cards were aligned, that the stars were aligned. The Golden Knights were going to face the Washington Capitals in the Stanley Cup Final. The The Tampa Bay Lightning were one win away from going to the, back to the Stanley Cup Final. The Golden Knights were going to get the Capitals in the Stanley Cup Final. Not only that, the Golden Knights were going to get home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Final, which if they placed Tampa Bay was not going to happen. So it seemed like everything was falling in place for the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup in year one course that didn't happen but there's many there's a lot to talk about there and we will talk about it in the next episode so there you have it four parts down one more to go that playoff run just leading up to the final it was incredible to watch that team essentially dominate I mean, in terms of score, maybe on some games it wasn't a dominant display. But you definitely knew that going into the final, the Golden Knights had the better goaltender. And you had a feeling they had the better overall team. You knew Washington had the better players. But based on what you saw in the first three rounds, you had a feeling that the Golden Knights had the better team. 
and they played like an actual team that wanted to shock the world. And they've already shocked the world to this point. But to watch them handle the Kings the way that they did, again, they didn't put up a lot of goals. But to hold the Kings in total to three goals in four games, that was incredible. And then to come back and face the Sharks, who were the most talented team, I think, in the Pacific. You can argue, you can make the case that the Sharks were the most talented team in the Pacific. To come back and beat them when it was 2-2 heading back to Vegas. And if they lost game five, it would have been completely expected. But they didn't. Vegas went on to win that series. And again, to fall down 3 nothing in Winnipeg in game one in the first period and to come back and win the next four, incredible. Absolutely incredible. So just thinking back on that playoff run, the environment at T-Mobile Arena, each, each series was louder than the next. And to watch people just get excited for watching this team, it was, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. And I thought I had seen it all until the Stanley Cup Final, which we will discuss in part five, which will come out later today. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane. Uh, what were your favorite moments in the Stanley Cup playoffs leading up to the final? What, what, were, what were the moments that stood out the most to you in rounds one, two, and three? Let me know. Would love to hear from you. Again, you can tweet at LockedOnVGK or tweet at me at DannyWebster21 or send an email to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com, whichever you prefer. Would love to hear your thoughts on the Golden Knights playoff run that really took the world by storm. So next episode, of course, Stanley Cup final. We will look ahead to the Golden Knights and the Washington Capitals. And I got some stories to tell that are also off the ice related that I think you all will enjoy rather nicely. So that'll do it for me. Thank you guys for downloading, sharing, listening, subscribing, all that jazz. Hope you have enjoyed this series to this point again you can go back and listen to parts one two and three if you would like and and as i guess apparently my phone thought i was talking to the uh automated voice helper i'm not going to say her name because then it's going to go off again and people and you're going to probably hear the noise but uh (laughs) but um but yeah let me know what your favorite moments were in the playoffs and i'm looking forward to discussing the stanley cup final with you so thank you guys Again, if you want to go back to listen to part one through three, feel free to do so. Um, I'll be back later today with part five, the Stanley Cup final against the Washington Capitals. So thank you guys for listening. I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and I will see you later. Have a good one.